0: going to be dealing with end times prophecy and i want to say at the get-go that i am not going to be dogmatic okay there's a lot of people that have a lot of views about a lot of things about the end times the one thing i know for sure and this is what my pastor and his pastor and his pastor before him taught is this there's one thing you can know for certain about biblical prophecy, you know what it means exactly after it's happened, okay? So you can go, oh yeah, you know this is what it's going to be and stuff, and then all of a sudden, oh that's not what it was. And some of you have heard me say I've got a, I've got a um, book that was written in 1914, and uh, it's called Our Day in the Light of Prophecy, and it talks about how. Uh, Israel and the last days is really figurative for the church and blah, blah, blah. And it's got all these things and ideas and stuff. Never realizing the author, you know, good author, but at that time frame, they just never had the concept that in just four decades, three decades, that the nation of Israel would be reestablished and the people would come home to their homeland And, you know, that this was not a concept in their minds, but the Lord made it happen, okay? So when we go through this, I'm going to give you what I think after my studying, and please don't take it as, oh, that's the way it's going to be, but I think this is the best way to look at it, okay? And we are going to watch how this grand, I don't know what you'd call it, not performance, but this grand agenda will go from this massive thing we're going to look at, and we'll see it come down into the last year. We'll see it come down into the last two weeks. We'll see it come down into last Thursday. Okay? The things that we are going to cover, especially in chapter 38 and 39 of Ezekiel, there are things happening even right now that are like, whoa, okay, who would have thought? But here we are, okay? So the first place we're gonna start is the book of Joel, chapter two, and we're gonna look at verses 28, 29, 30, 31, and 32. And this is what we would call the church age, okay? And the church age is Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was given and the church was born, through the tribulation, it ends at the end of the tribulation, and then it starts with the millennial reign and the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ on the earth. Okay, So the church ages from Pentecost to the end of the great tribulation. All right. So let's take a look and see what Joel has to say about this. And everything before, God is speaking about how he is going to bring Israel back and Judah back, okay? Joel is actually one of the earliest prophets, okay? He's not a contemporary of Ezekiel. But the things that he writes about are fitting within the time frame of what Ezekiel writes about. Zechariah, Malachi, and others are writing about, okay? So the events are last days specific okay so that being said let's start in chapter 2 verse 28 of the book of joel and it shall come to pass afterward that's another way of saying in the last days and i'll show you why in a minute that i will pour out my spirit on all flesh your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your old men shall dream dreams And your young men shall see visions, even on the male and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Now, keep your finger there and go over to the book of Acts chapter 2. And this is when the Holy Spirit comes upon the 120 and they begin speaking in tongues and there are Jews from all over the, the world, if you will, who are there to worship. And they're hearing the praises of God in their own languages. And they're like, wait, what's going on? And some are mocking and saying, oh, they're drunk. And they're like, wait, no, no, no. This is, this is, this is different. This is weird. And Peter speaks to the multitude And he quotes Joel, okay, this very passage that we read. It's chapter 2, verse 17 in the book of Acts. And it's the exact same thing. And he mentions that the moon will be turned to blood and all of that. And you notice, you've got these two things. It's like, well, wait a minute. When Jesus ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit was poured out and the church age began, you didn't have the blood and, and the stars falling from heaven and all that stuff. What's this all about? These are bookends, okay? And so you have the start of the church age, all right, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh. And then you have the time when Jesus returns the second time. And there is all of the things happening in the heavens and on the earth and such. And there's, there's the, the ca- catastrophes and all this crazy stuff going on. And in the middle of the time frame, we have the statement, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is a time to pursue Christ. Now it's always the time to pursue God. It's always been that way. But during this time the focus is the gospel of Jesus Christ going out throughout the world. This time frame is also known as the time of the Gentiles. Okay, That's another term that the Bible uses for it when the Gentiles are grafted in and during the church age the gospel is going throughout the world. So That's what this period is being talked about here. So we've got it in Joel, Peter addresses it specifically, saying, hey, all this stuff about the tongues and the Holy Spirit moving and everything going on right now, this is what Joel talked about. You need to repent, you need to call upon the name of the Lord, and that day, more than 3,000 people were born again. The church was launched, okay, and it's been going ever since. So f- that's the starting point. Okay, And then we've got the end point. We're going to see more of the blood and the moon and all that stuff a little bit later on. But so we're given the starting point of the church age. Now Ezekiel is going to address a couple of things that happened prior to the tribulation or maybe in the beginning of it. And then the millennial re- uh, reign of Christ, okay? So, go now to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38. And we're going to look at the war of Gog and Magog. With this, it is not the Battle of Armageddon, okay? Okay? It doesn't end the same way. It is not the battle at the end of the millennial reign of Christ when Satan is let out to lead another rebellion before everything is completely shut down and uh, because it doesn't end up the same way either. This is a separate battle. Some people think it happens before the tribulation. Some people think it happens after the tribulation, and we'll, or not after, but after it begins, and I'll show you why in a minute. But Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. And prophesy against them and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. And I will turn you about and put hooks in your jaws, and I will bring you out. And all your army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield, wielding swords, Persia, Cush, and Put are with them. All of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his hordes, Beth from the uttermost parts of the north with all its hordes. Many people are with you. If you go down to verse 10, thus says the Lord God, On that day, thoughts will come into your mind, and you will devise an evil scheme. And I will go and say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will fall upon the quiet people who dwell securely, all of them dwelling without walls, and having no bars or gates to seize the spoil and carry off plunder. All right. What on earth is that talking about? Okay. So Gog is the ruler of the area of Magog. And people have taken the names like Tubal, Mishek, Rosh, and they say, okay, this is Russia, all right? Now, to use the names to try to make that connection is not the best way to do it, okay, it's, it's weak, all right? Now, the fact is, that is the area, and this is the area primarily that we're looking at here on this map, all right? But we're not gonna go based upon names. We're going based upon the people groups that are mentioned, the territories mentioned. So it's the area that is basically surrounding, this is the Black Sea, that's the Caspian Sea, all right? Israel's here, and then you've got Iran, Iraq, and uh, you've got Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Egypt, over here is Libya, and down here to the south border of Egypt is Sudan, okay, Kush, all right, put Libya. So, right up here is Russia, here is Ukraine, and then you've got the Mediterranean and Europe here, all right. So, it's talking about... The area of, when it's talking about Meshach and Tubal, those are locations. That's the area of the Scythians, okay? And they weren't around during this time at all. But it's this area primarily here and then their empire just before uh, the first century B.C. came down into here and all. But it's primarily the area of Russia and Ukraine, Eastern Europe, and then their empire spread further south. So what does this matter? Why, why on earth, okay, does this matter to us? So these nations, as far as Russia, that area, and Eastern Europe are concerned, they've never had a war with Israel, okay? That hasn't happened yet. This is going to happen later. And Ezekiel tells us that it's at a time when Israel is secure. Okay. Israel's security, we know from the book of Revelation and Daniel, that there will be a three and a half year period where they make a covenant with the Antichrist. And there is security. All right. And it's for this reason that a lot of people, and I think probably too, that this battle will happen after the tribulation has begun, when the covenant has been made and there's peace because of the Antichrist and they're living securely, all right? So the things that are going on here, why on earth would Russia, Iraq, Iran, Ethiopia, Sudan, Libya, Turkey, and even parts of Europe want to attack Israel. Ezekiel tells us it's because of the spoils. It's because of the gain that they can have. All right. So we know about Russia invading Ukraine and the war that's been going on for over a year now, right? One of the things that has happened, because Europe is voicing their opinions against Russia and what Russia's is doing, is Russia is putting a stranglehold on natural gas, oil, on Europe, okay? To where places like Germany are having to fire up the old uh, nuclear sites and stuff to try to get energy again because they're strapped and they're looking to the United States, who we've got issues because of the current administration going, oh, well, we're going to stop being in- energy independent and we're just going to be buying from our enemies. Okay, so we're just going to do that instead. So you may have heard in the news about the OPEC plus. Okay, so that's the OPEC oil nations plus Russia. And I think it's Kurdistan, which is up over here. Um, But what they've done is, the OPEC nations have done an alliance with Russia, and they are cutting production, they are increasing cost, and they are controlling the oil right now as it flows out to much of the world. The thing about Israel is when we lived over there, they were doing exploration and drilling off of the coast of Israel, uh, just right, uh, about right there, and um, looking for natural gas, okay? Well, they hit it. So as of of 2013, I think it was, um, the Tamar field and the Leviathan field came online. As of last year, Israel is energy independent regarding natural gas. They don't have to import coal anymore if they don't want to because they've got the natural gas that is their own, okay? So now you have little Israel, and they've got a third field that is getting ready to go online as well. So now this little country is becoming a player, an alternate for natural gas, which is important because Europe is having a problem because of Russia, okay? Russia had a stranglehold if they wanted it. That's not the case anymore. Does anybody read the New York Times? No? Okay. So Thursday, the New York Times put out an article that Chevron is now starting to make provisions for Israel to be the springboard to get natural gas into Europe, okay? So three years ago, Chevron bought the majority shares of the oil and gas company in Israel. And they've got the facilities and everything to make this work, So what they're doing is, here in Egypt, they have a natural gas liquefying uh, processing center, okay? So they're able to get the natural gas from the fields here to the processing plants in Egypt, and then take that liquid natural gas up the Mediterranean into Europe to supply Europe, with natural gas, without having to deal with Russia, okay? If you're trying to control people, control nations, control markets, that's not something you want to have happen. Russia doesn't like this, okay? So the interesting thing is, Kush is here at the southern part of Egypt, and uh, Libya is here, since Egypt is where the liquid natural gas is processed and shipped out from, Russia has military interests here and can control, if they want to, Egypt, if they decide to attack. Okay, So this is a huge, huge game changer with Israel becoming not just energy independent in relation to natural gas, but becoming an exporter and helping Europe so that they don't have to depend so much on Russia, okay? Interestingly, I just was looking to see what kind of military interests that Russia has right now in Sudan and in Libya, and they have a strong presence in those countries. And they have that presence there through what we know as the Werner Group, or no, the Wagner Group, I'm sorry. Does so anybody hear that term lately? Or the Warner Group, if you want to use the, the okay. So the Werner Group, Wagner Group, I'm sorry, Werner, Wagner. Okay, these are the guys, they're, they're a paramilitary organization controlled by Russia, funded by Russia, but outside Russian military law. They're mercenaries. We saw one group of them do the attempted coup against Putin just last month, I think it was, okay? But they have groups in 30 nations throughout the world advancing the interests and control of Russia doing what Russia cannot do because of international and military law they're doing covertly and illegally okay so the Wagner group has footholds in both those countries and are pushing the control of Russia in those nations so when we look at this battle people can think of why would this why would this happen well, we're living in a time where here we are, things are extremely volatile in this region. They are tense, and little Israel, all of the sudden, with the help of Chevron, and I think ultimately God, is now a major player on the world market for natural gas. Kind of a monkey wrench in Russia's control. So it's probably safe to say that this is going to be the thing that is going to draw Russia and these nations, OPEC nations, into a war with Israel. It's a matter of control, controlling nations, controlling uh, natural resources. And with this particular battle when it's all said and done, and God comes in and fights for Israel, there will be seven years of trying to get rid of all of the weapons of war, seven months in burying the dead. That's how extensive this war is going to be. So we begin with the start of the church age, Ezekiel's talking about a battle that's going to be toward the end of the church age. And we have stuff as recent as last Thursday in the New York Times talking about what is happening with Israel and its impact on the global stage because of the natural gas resources they have and their ability to be an exporter nation to a dependent Europe. Okay, That's pretty crazy. Now, again, I'm not saying this is it, but these are things to look at, and we're going we're gonna to see what Jesus has to say about this stuff a little later. So there's this war. Now, we're going to go to Joel again, all right? Chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 and 12 through 13. And we're going to the back end of the tribulation time. And all this... A lot of this is going to be filled in by Daniel and Zechariah and others as we go through it. So we're kind of covering the bookends of the church age, okay, the start and the finish. Chapter 3, verse 1 of the book of Joel, we're talking about the judging of the nations. And this is, like I said, after the tribulation happens, after Armageddon and Jesus comes back and takes absolute control okay for behold in those days and at that time when i restore the fortunes of judah and jerusalem i will gather all the nations okay not just the ones that we've looked at in this particular battle with gog and magog all the nations and bring them down into the valley of jehoshaphat the valley of jehoshaphat does not exist okay And we'll look at what scholars speculate it to be in just a moment. But there's going to be a place where God, Jesus, is going to bring the nations and judge them. And look at why. On behalf of my people and my heritage, Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land... And have cast lots for my people, and have traded a boy for a prostitute, and have sold a girl for wine, and have drunk it. And then he goes on, the Lord goes on to talk about the things that the nations have done. Going down to chapter 3, verse 12 in Joel, it says, Let the nations stir themselves up and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. That is not, some people say that's a harvest of souls. The gospel goes out and they bring it. That's not what this is talking about. Revelation talks about this too. It is the treading of, in the winepress of God's wrath. Okay, so this is the judgment upon nations. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. So, and we'll get into this when we go into Zechariah. But in Zechariah chapter 14, we're told that when Jesus comes back after the tribulation, and he will stand on the Mount of Olives. And when he does, and he's coming back with his saints and with the hosts of heaven, and it will split the Mount of Olives in two. The fault runs east to west, and it will move the Mount of Olives in two, two parts, north and south, split Jerusalem, and put a valley all the way down to the Med and out toward, going toward the Dead Sea, okay? Scholars think this is probably what Ezekiel's talking about, and Joel is talking about as the Valley of Decision, the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Several years ago, I think it was Holiday Inn, um, but a hotel chain wanted to build a hotel on the Mount of Olives, and at that time, they had done surveying of the, uh, the, uh, the land and all of that. And they found a massive, massive fault line that goes straight through the Mount of Olives. And they're like, no way. We're not going to build a hotel here because if this thing goes, it's over. So they already know that there's a huge plate. It's like a disc, really. And it goes out to the Med, it goes all the way around to the Dead Sea and stuff. So it's there. Okay, we know it's there. In Matthew chapter 25, you can read this later, but it's the separation of the sheep and the goats. And if you look at the context and remember that when Jesus is talking In Matthew 24, Matthew 25, the focus is Israel, okay? So when Jesus says, when you have done these things to the least of these, my brethren, he is not talking about the church, okay? He's talking about believing Jews, all right? The time of the tribulation has ended. It's there, it's laid out, okay? Jesus talks about it. So when he's talking about his brethren the whole of the context of those passages is Israel, okay? A lot of people get tripped up because they try to fit the church where it doesn't belong. This is all, the the whole focus is, is Israel in the end times, all right? And so when Jesus is judging the nations, it's how they treated Israel. And the sheep are those who took care of Israel during the time of the tribulation the goats are those who did not it's not talking about salvation by works okay salvation is not by works but if you're saved you are going to do things you should be doing things that line up with your salvation okay James talks about it he says you know I'll show you my faith by my works. I'm not saved by my works. But the way I live my life, the way I do things, is evidence of my relationship with Christ. Okay. So what most scholars believe is that this is a time where people are getting saved during the tribulation and they are helping the Jewish believers. They're standing with them. Which is seriously dangerous. Right now, I'm reading a book about uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and a lot of Christians. You know, you think of Cory Ten Boom and others. A lot of Christians put their lives on the line as they were smuggling Jews out of Europe and out of Germany during World War II. They had an act of faith and an act of love for the people of God, and they were getting them to safety. Many of them died for it. Many of them were imprisoned for it. So this is serious stuff, and we've seen, I think, a little bit of it during World War II when the Nazis were persecuting Israel, the Jews. So there will be a time when they're brought into this valley, and Jesus will judge them. And then they will enter into the millennial kingdom, the millennial reign with Jesus. And that's what Ezekiel takes us back to in Ezekiel 40. Okay, So I know we're hopping around a lot and stuff, but this is kind of the way things are given to us here. It's the bookends, the front and the back end of it. Chapter 40, Ezekiel's temple, okay? Chapter 40, verse 1 of Ezekiel. In the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th day of the month, in the 14th year, after the city was struck down. So this is 14 years after Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem. Temples destroyed, it's all waste, okay? In visions of God, he brought me to the land of Israel And set me down on a very high mountain, on which was a structure like a city to the south. When he brought me there, behold, there was a man whose appearance was like bronze, with a linen cord and a measuring reed in his hand. And he was standing at the gateway. And the man said to me, Son of man, look with your eyes and hear with your ears and set your heart upon all that I shall show you. For you were brought here in order that I might show it to you. Declare all that you see to the house of Israel. And then he begins to, um, he begins to give measurements and such. Okay. We will all fall asleep very quickly if I start reading measurements. Okay, I couldn't even keep them straight. So after I got about halfway through chapter 41, I'm like, you know what, I need a picture. I got to have a picture of this thing, okay? So, rather than reading all this, this will give you some idea of things, okay? Now, the Millennial Temple is not the Third Temple, okay? We know that, again, going back to Matthew when the disciples said, you know, Lord, look at all of these uh, these great buildings and stuff. And they're looking at the temple complex and everything. And Jesus says, you know what? All of this is going to be torn down. Okay? And they're saying, well, when is this going to be? And what's going to be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And so we see uh, Matthew 24 and 25 as Jesus begins to lay the things out. So in order for there to be um, the abomination of desolations, the Antichrist going in and putting his image in the temple, okay, we have to have a temple. 70 AD, Herod's temple was destroyed, okay. We're now at the point where they're getting ready to build the third temple. Okay. This is the one that Daniel speaks of. This is the one that will be desecrated by the Antichrist. He will put his image in it. Now here's, here's something that's just happened a couple of weeks ago. More red heifers. Okay. Do you all remember when we were studying in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and I talked about the the red heifer? Okay. All right. So last fall, Israel received five red heifers. They're still being observed to make sure that they are purely red, not a blemish, not a white hair, not a black hair, not a brown hair. Okay? Can you imagine being the priests that have to go over them with a microscope and a comb? That's I couldn't do it. You know, you have to have serious OCD, you know, for that kind of thing. So they're still looking at them, all right? Now get this. Two weeks ago, and this is reported in Israel today, a couple of weeks ago, one of three more red heifers arrived in Israel. And where these three are going to be kept is in Shiloh. And you may remember that Shiloh is where the tabernacle was put after Israel took the land of Canaan. Okay? So they have the first of three there, the other two are coming. And the red heifer is absolutely critical for the purification of the priests and the temple. You have to have the ashes of the red heifer to do that. Well, last fall, we've got five. And the Temple Institute has been reviewing them and looking at them and making sure they're still okay. The Temple Institute has all of the things that are involved with temple worship, the candelabra, the bronze laver, everything, all the utensils, all the priestly garments, it's all there. It's ready, but you've got to do the purification in order for this to work. And now in Shiloh, we have the first of three more red heifers. And so there's, there's something going on. And we're saying, yeah, this is it. I don't want to say, yeah, this is absolutely it. But I find it really interesting that the Temple Institute has everything ready for the third temple. Things are moving with the red heifer for the first time in centuries. Actually, since the time of Solomon, okay, I believe. They have not had a red heifer. So stuff's happening. The Jews believe that it will be Messiah that will sacrifice the 10th. There's been nine. The 10th, they believe, will be sacrificed by the Messiah himself. That's just their belief, okay? But there's stuff happening, all right? There are going to be sacrifices at this temple, okay? We'll get into that in a second. But to give you an idea, here's a football field, okay? 100 yards, by 50 yards, all right? This is the tabernacle, all right? Moses, uh, during Moses' time and before the temp- Solomon's temple was built. So this is a lot smaller than that. Then we move up in size. This is the facility for Solomon's temple, okay? Maybe about the, the, the temple courts and all of that were about a third of a football field, okay? Then this is Herod's temple, all right? So, this is considerably bigger, okay? This is the temple in Ezekiel's vision here, okay? This is not correct, all right, as far as the outer wall, and I'll tell you why in a minute, okay? They have this, and the ESV version of the Bible says five hundred by 500 cubits. That's not what the Hebrew says. Okay. Hebrew uses the term "reed," which is six cubits, which is about 10 and a half feet. All right. So the way this will look, as far as the temple itself, here's the temple. Outer walls. This is 10 feet by 10 feet. These are the 30, Rooms for the priests, eastern gate, temple, the gates coming from the outer gates and all. So that'll give you an idea of what this thing, at least the outline, okay? I found some some images that, boy, they had some really artsy depictions of the temple, okay? But this will give you what the grounds will look like, okay? And just so you note, right there, is the river that begins out of the base of the temple that will flow down to the Red Sea, okay? Now, in Ezekiel chapter 42, the ESV says that the outer wall there is 500 by 500 cubits. The Hebrew says 500 by 500 reeds. Okay, big, big difference, no joke. So the court of Ezekiel's temple, and I don't know why the ESV puts cubits instead of reeds, but they did. Um, The walls of the temple courts, that area right there is one square mile. Now think about this. When Herod built his temple, he wanted to be able to have at least 100,000 people in the temple area up there on the Temple Mount, okay? And it'll do it, all right? It's big up there. But if you've got all the nations of the world coming to worship during the millennial reign of Christ, that's not going to cut it. You need something a lot bigger. How about a square mile, okay? Okay? So the dimensions are much bigger. And people say, well, then Ezekiel's temple can't fit on the Temple Mount. Right. Remember, Zechariah tells us that when Jesus comes back, there will be a huge earthquake. And we're told elsewhere that places are going to be leveled. Other places are going to be brought up and heightened. The Mount of Olives is going to be split in two. There's going to be this river in the valley, and that river is going to flow down into the, the Dead Sea, and it will become lush and fertile and animals and all sorts of life will flourish there. So where was I going with this? Man, okay. So, yeah, there it is. I'm sorry. So what's happening is with all of the geographical and topographical upheaval that's going to happen, there will be the ability, I think, for this temple to be right where the temple is now. But the topography is going to be a lot different. And that's what the Bible tells us. Okay. This square mile is going to be able to accommodate a lot of people worshiping. And they're going to be bringing in sin offerings. They're going to be bringing in guilt offerings and peace offerings. And people go, well, wait a minute, time out. Jesus is our sacrifice. So why on earth is there going to be sacrifices during the millennial reign of Christ? Why would he do that? That makes no sense. I think, and this is what a lot of scholars think, and it makes sense to me. Okay, and this is just what I think. But... We know that the blood of the bulls and the goats could not save people. That's what Hebrews tells us, right? Can't. All the sacrifices did was point to the sacrifice, Jesus Christ, right? That's all that they did. And so when people came by faith to the temple and in obedience to the Lord, offered up their sacrifices, they were offering by faith, And basically, just like Abraham, righteousness is attributed to their account, okay? Jesus, it's kind of like, I've heard someone say it's like a spiritual credit card, okay? Where the debt hasn't been paid, but you're getting your righteousness on credit. The one who's going to pay it off is coming later, and his name is Jesus. And he paid that debt with his blood. So the idea... It's not that the sacrifices in the temple during the millennial period will atone for sin, because we already know they don't. But that they will be a memorial for what Jesus did. Okay, That's very different. So all the sacrifices before the cross pointed to Jesus. The sacrifices during the millennial reign of Christ point back to the cross and what he did, I think much like communion. When the disciples took communion, it was looking toward what Jesus was going to do on the cross. After he rose from the dead, and they're continuing, and we continue to take communion, we're looking back to what he already did. All right? It's the memorial. So, again, I'm not being dogmatic, but I think that it might be a good explanation as to why there will be sacrifices during the millennial reign of christ and at this temple but this is a whole different setup and then going on the land will be repartition for the tribes of israel as well if you see this line here this is what it was as god gave to moses for the nations i mean for the tribes it's a lot bigger Okay? And instead of being like little pockets and stuff, everything is in a line. All right? You've got the Lord's portion here where you have the Levites, the priests, the temple, prince's land. We won't get into who the prince is. It's not Jesus because he doesn't have children and he won't be having children. Some people think it's David himself. I don't know about that. But there is going to be somebody that the Lord has be the leader of Israel during this time. And there's specific rules for him and his family during this time. Okay? Doesn't fit with anything we've ever had in history. So this is how it's all going to look during the millennial reign of Christ. So, phew. All right. How do we bring this home? I'd like you to go to Matthew chapter 24, verse 32. Matthew 24, verse 32. And this is Jesus teaching on the end times, okay? And he says, from the fig tree, the fig tree is a symbol of Israel, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation where these things are happening will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words. Will not pass away. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son. So if anybody says, hey, I know when Jesus is coming back, if Jesus don't know, you don't know. Okay, so uh, that's just, you know, if somebody says that, you know they're just blowing smoke. But the Father only. For as it were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So people will be going about their business. It will be decadent. There will be evil. It will be crazy. And people will be living life, getting married, giving in marriage, living it up, partying, doing what they do. And just as Noah was preaching the coming judgment of God for 120 years while he was working on that ark, and they did not listen to him, so it will be that as these things are taking place, pointing to the coming of Christ, a lot of people aren't going to pay attention. We're seeing some really crazy stuff going on. Red heifers. Just less than a year ago, there were five after a couple of thousand years. Three thousand years, I think. Now there's eight. The materials for the temple are there and ready. The stuff going on with Russia and natural gas and Israel and all the things that are happening right now in the news... Maybe it's a good idea just to be aware. I'm not saying getting caught up in all this stuff. There's a lot of people who get so caught up in eschatology, the end times, where they just don't focus on their regular relationship with the Lord. They kind of freak out. We need to look at the signs of the times and always be ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't know when that's going to happen. But it's going to happen. And even if it doesn't happen in our lifetime, every one of us in this room is going to face Jesus Christ at some point. It might be today. We might die today. And we will stand before the Lord. Are we living our life in readiness to see him, to be with him? That's why this stuff is so important, okay? Not to freak people out. And again, I'm not saying this is the way it's going down. But boy, there's some really cool stuff happening. Are we ready to face Jesus? Are we ready for his coming? Let's be. Because that's what the Lord tells us to be ready for. It may be today. It may be next week. It may be in 50 years. But the Lord is coming. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you that you are sovereign. Thank you that the world and the nations and all of the things going on are under your hand. And we can look. Lord, the reason why you gave these things to the exiles was to encourage them of what you were doing in the future. You did this with the church as John wrote the book of Revelation. As they were being persecuted and going through all sorts of junk, they were able to look at the end game through the book of Revelation. We're able to look at the end game through Ezekiel, Joel, Zechariah, Malachi, and others. And we know where this is heading. And that's exciting, that in a world that is going crazy, you have a perfect, ordered plan that is glorious and good. And Lord, help us to point people to you and make the best use of our time while while we have it on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen.